Well, good morning. You know, one of the things that has um, been happening because of all the COVID stuff in our family is we've kind of had to readjust our, our, our schedules and our, our social activities, as I'm sure you have had to do as well. And one of the things that we've decided to do is um, Nancy, my wife, and one of our boys and I, we will we'll find a show a TV series of some kind on Amazon Prime, and then we'll kind of use it, we'll kind of work our way through it. Not not every night, but you know, when we have a chance, we'll do that, just kind of a way to kind of connect, have something in common, kind of share that, and and, and kind of work our way through it. And, and a show that we're currently doing that with is called Hustle. It's a BBC, a British Broadcasting Corporation show, and it's called Hustle. You can probably guess what it's about by the name. It's about a a team of con men. You're thinking, well, that's a really redemptive show, Pastor Doug. You know, a show about con men. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because they're, they're good con men. Trust me, they really, they're good con men. Uh, because they have a code. They have this code where they say, hey, if somebody is greedy or corrupt, they're, they're okay to be a mark. We'll con them. But if, if they are a good person, honest person, we leave them alone. So that's kind of how they, they, they make their decision and justify what they do. And on their team, there are five of them. There's four, four guys uh, and there's a gal. And they each have their particular skills and gifts that they bring to the team. They're good at different things. There's one guy who's really good at security and alarms and there's in safes and things like that. There's one who's really good with uh, different things. And then one guy who's the, the oldest guy, he's kind of a father figure and a mentor. His particular skill, his name is Albert. Albert's particular skill is really, really good at cards, in particular the game of, of poker. And so every once in a while in one of the episodes, there'll be a point where they identify the mark, they'll kind of groom the mark and get the mark ready, and they'll bring them to the place, and there'll be a card game, and, and uh, he'll, he'll lose enough, Albert will lose enough to kind of lure the guy in, and then it'll come the moment to spring the trap. And the tension's high, and he pushes all his chips into the middle of the table, and he says, I'm all in. Of course, what he means when he says that is, I'm not holding anything back. No reserve chips. I'm all in. It's all on the line. I'm totally invested in this moment. Now, today we're looking at a passage from Luke that Jessica just read. And, and one of the things I want to talk about today, and I, I think we're going to draw some things from this passage about what does it mean to be all in? What does it mean to be all in for for God, for, for Jesus Christ. What does that look like? Uh, before we jump into that, though, let's, uh, let's take a look at the, right before the passage that Jessica read. There's, there's a section of passage at the end of chapter 20. And I think it's not there just by accident. Obviously, God's word is, we believe, is inspired, right? Uh, but the authors of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as you read through the Gospels, you can tell that they structured the different stories and teachings of Jesus in ways that they were driving towards a theme in that story over the overall book. Okay, and Luke was the was the Gentile. He was the only Gentile uh, writer uh, in the New Testament, in the whole Bible for that matter. And and he um, is a doctor, is a physician, he's an educated man, and you can tell that by the Greek. The level of Greek that he writes the language in is is much higher, more academic. And sophisticated than the rest of the Greek and, and places. And, and he arranged things uh, with, with no, um, it wasn't by accident. And, and I think it has the connection to what we just read in Luke 21. So pick it up in Luke 20, verse 47. And Jesus here is condemning, he's confronting the religious leaders. 
And Jesus says this, They, the religious leaders, shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. So what is, what is Jesus talking about here? What's the connection? Well, in Jesus' day, uh, the religious leaders, they had taken God's rules, God's commandments, God's laws, and, and they had twisted them. They had added to them and they had twisted them. And, and, and one thing that they were doing is they were taking the laws uh, about giving and, and, and sacrifices and things of that nature, and they were twisting those commands and those laws, and they were using them to take advantage of vulnerable people. They were exploiting people. What God used for the benefit and, and the blessing that people are taking them and twisting them to exploit vulnerable people. And in Jesus' day, just as in our day, one group of people who were especially vulnerable were these older ladies who were widows. And, and, and probably even more so back then because there wasn't Social Security. Uh, there wasn't sort of any, any government assistance. There weren't these nonprofits set up. They were usually pretty much on their own. And, and it seems to me that Luke is, is, is setting this story up and letting us know that this lady, that, who we're told gives everything that she has, that she was probably had been exploited or taken advantage of by the religious leaders and how they were twisting God's laws and commands. Which, of course, is the opposite of why God gave those laws and commands. I mean, James tells us that um, this in chapter or chapter 1, verse 27, James, the brother of Jesus. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So rather than squeeze money out of widows, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to actually care for them. Okay? Now, I'm really thankful that I'm a part of a church that believes this and tries to practice this as best as we can. We have... We have uh, visitation teams, we have deacons who deliver meals, who give flowers, who make phone calls, who visit people in hospitals or homes. That's wonderful. I'm real excited about that. Uh, We have many people in the church who aren't a part of those teams, who who care for uh, elderly relatives or neighbors who have nobody else. That's that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of that and excited for that's what God intends for us to do. So having said all that, kind of set the story, um, we're going to pull out three things out of this Luke 21. That's in the first half. And then in the last half of the sermon, we have three other things. So two, couple, two pairs of three. All right. So let's, let's jump in. The first thing out of Luke 21 that I want us to notice is Jesus is watching us. He watched rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Paul writes this about this idea in 1 Thessalonians 2. For we speak as messengers approved by God and trusted with the good news. Our purpose is is to please God, not people. God alone examines the motives of our hearts. So God just doesn't just see our actions. He he, he knows our motives. Uh, He knows uh, our motives better than we know them ourselves. God sees. We might be able to fool other people, but we can't fool God, which is a... Pretty sobering thought, okay? God sees. He knows the motives behind our actions, our thoughts, and our attitudes. Now, we can put a positive spin on this. God sees. Maybe you're sacrificing. Maybe you're going the extra mile. Maybe you are 
are going all in and nobody seems to thank you or notice you, God sees, he knows. In Genesis chapter 16, there's a story where Hagar is in the wilderness. She's left to die. She's vulnerable, just like the widow. And God sees her, God rescues her, and she calls God a name that's only found in this verse. Genesis 16, 13. She calls God Eloi, which means the God who sees me. Isn't that awesome? The God who notices me. The God who sees me. The second thing I want to point out to you about Luke 21 is this. It's pretty obvious. A poor widow outgives many rich people. This poor widow, Jesus said, has given more than all the rest of them. Now, this word poor can mean destitute. Um, it can mean uh, beggar. And she wasn't just poor. She wasn't just in the lowest tax bracket, okay? She was, she was really in extreme need, on the edge, on the margins, way out there on the margins. So how does she outgive so many rich people, according to Jesus? Well, it seems from this story that God judges based upon the amount of the sacrifice, not upon the amount. God only, not only sees the amount that we're giving of our time and our resources, but God sees the sacrifice that it takes for us to give it. God judges based upon the amount of the sacrifice, not upon the amount of the gift. Now, this holds true, this whole idea of of, of basing things upon the amount of the effort of sacrifice, not the, the amount of the gifts or contribution, it holds true in other areas of life, doesn't it? I mean, if you're a coach, we've had coaches in the other services. Maybe there's some here today. You, you know this. Because maybe on your team you have an extremely talented athlete, but that athlete is the laziest on the team. Um, they can get away with it because they're so athletic. Or you see the same thing in a classroom. A kid is really gifted academically. They're so smart. They just coast. They can get away with it. They're not really all in. Versus compared to the athlete or the student who may not be as fast or as smart or as gifted, but they're the hardest working teammate. God judges based upon the amount of the sacrifice, not based upon the amount. Now, Here's the last of the three things, the first of the, the, the first three. This poor widow was all in. She was all in. She gave all that she had. In, in Mark chapter 12, the parallel account of this story, Mark says she gave all that she had to live on. She held nothing back. There's a great movie called Gataka, G-A-T-T-A-C-A. I had to write down how to pronounce it phonetically, Gataka. Um, and in the movie, there are two brothers. There are two main characters. There's Anton and there's Vincent. Anton's the older brother. Vincent's the younger brother. And like a lot of brothers, there's a, there's a, a competition that runs throughout the movie. There's a sibling rivalry. They compete in several different ways. Uh, it's also about eugenics, too, which is kind of crazy. There's all sorts of weird stuff. But I want to focus on this competition between the two brothers. Uh, and one of the things, ways they would compete is they live by the ocean. They'd go to the ocean and they would swim as far as they could until one of them got tired or one of them got scared and they would say chicken and they would turn around and swim back. I would not recommend this. And Anton always won. The older brother always won. Vincent would always at some point get tired or scared, begin to doubt himself and say chicken and they would swim back to shore. 
And then at one point, as they were older guys, um, young men, they decided to do it again. And they swam farther than they'd ever swum before. And you're getting kind of nervous for them in, in, in this scene. They're going to drown. And, and, and finally, Anton, the older brother, says chicken. And they make it back to shore. And Anton asks Vincent, how did you do it? How did you beat me this time? And Vincent said, I did not save anything for the swim back. Let me ask you a question. In your relationship with Christ... In the use of your time and your resources and your abilities, are you, are you saving something for the swim back? Are you holding something back? Are you playing the odds? Are you, are you not all in? You know, the, the greatest sermon that was ever preached is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And one of the, the things Jesus is doing here is he's holding up for us a, a picture in different areas of life, you know, our, our, our sexuality, our, our money, our relationships, and so on and so forth, our, our religion. He's holding up a, a picture of what it means to be all in. An ideal. What does it mean to be all in for God? I mean, sold out for, for Jesus. What does it look like? So, for example, we, know we, we might say, well, I love people. I'm not a hater, but it's really easy for me to love people who love me. And love people who can do something for me. But then Jesus says, yeah, but then you're to love your enemies. You're you're to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When is the last time that you prayed for somebody who was your enemy? I mean, not somebody who irritates you. Not somebody who has hurt you and you're trying to to resolve things. But somebody who really, really is opposed to you. Who, who, who hates you, who, who does not have your best interest in mind. They try, to, they try to tear you down. Jesus says we are to pray for them. To pray that God will open their eyes, that God will soften their heart, that God would bless them. That's hard to do. Jesus says that's what it means to, part of what it means to be all in. You know, in Jesus' day, uh, there was a, a rule um, that if a Roman soldier was walking down the road and he saw a Jewish person, for whatever reason, if he was tired or maybe he just wanted to humiliate somebody, he wanted to be a bully that day, he could tell, hey, Jew, come and carry my, my, my stuff, carry my equipment, carry my, my things. And they had to do it for a mile. Jesus says, if you get asked to do that, he says, Carry it and then carry it an extra mile. Carry it two miles. Go all in. Some of you are doing that in fractured relationships. Some of you are doing that at your work. Some of you are, some of you are doing that in helping somebody out financially who needs help. And nobody sees it, but God sees it. He sees your sacrifice and he values it. Before I move on to the second list of three things, I want to ask a question. Is there anything in your life that God's bringing to mind now or God has been nudging you for some time now? Is there anything that the Spirit of God is bringing to your attention and asking you, nudging you to go the extra mile, to be a little bit more, I guess, all in, so to speak? Okay, that's the first three things. Here's the second three things. about This time about what does it mean to be all in, and then we'll be done. All in 
is not all perfect. Okay? So you can relax. You can chill for just a minute. It's all in is not about all perfect. I don't want to preach anything that's legalistic, that is performance-based. We are saved through faith in Christ, not by how good we are or how well we perform, even how much we're all in. I mean, none of us are perfect. There's nothing in this text about this widow that indicates to us that she was uh, perfect, that she had it all together. God is the only one who's perfect. So let's start there. But... If you're a teacher or you're a coach or your employer, you can usually tell pretty well and pretty quickly who's invested, right? Who is giving their best effort? Who is, is all in? They're on board with your agenda, with what you're trying to accomplish. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but it means they're all in. Apostle Paul gives us a picture of what this looks like for us, what it means for him and what it means for us by extrapolation in Philippians 3. Paul writes, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I pressed on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. And you say, okay, I can relate to that. I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. That's a good realization to have. Okay? Otherwise, we become proud or full of ourselves, think we're better or superior. But... I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. You can't use that as an excuse. We're called to press on. We're called to push forward. We're called to keep our eyes on Jesus. All in is not all perfect, but it is all in on the goal, the priorities, the values of the kingdom of God. Next, all in is giving what you have. The widow gave everything that she had. To, to live on. And so we're not to focus on what we can't give. We just focus on what we have and what we have to give. There's a story that I think relates to this in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus and the disciples, Jesus has been teaching all day long. There's a huge crowd of people. We're told 5,000 men and their families, so several thousand people. And the disciples come to Jesus, and it's getting dark, and they say, Jesus, um, we need to send these people away. They need to go into the villages and the farms. They need to find food, and, uh, and we, need to, we need to relax. And, and Jesus says to them, you feed them. And they say, well, with, with what? They were probably thinking, you know, Jesus, we'd have to work for months, all of us, and save that money to have enough money to buy food for several thousand people. What do you mean feed them? And Jesus says, how much bread do you have? What do you have to give? So they go back and they check their backpacks and their picnic baskets and they come back and say, well, we have five loaves of bread and we have two fish. And Jesus says, have them sit down in groups. And Jesus takes the food that he's been given, the five loaves of two fish. He holds it. He blesses it. He begins to break it into pieces and he begins to hand it out. It wasn't a lot that they had to give, but it was a lot when they gave it in the name of Jesus. 
You know, I wish I could had ability to do this because during the coronavirus stuff, I have two full-grown young men who are living at home for three meals a day. Okay, this would be awesome. It would save us a lot of money, but I, I don't have, alas, don't have that gift. But, but Jesus, when it all starts here, this multiplication of what they gave to, to Jesus, it all begins with Jesus' question, what do you have? And then Jesus says, well, give that. Give that. And the reason they probably didn't bring it in the first place is because they thought, look at the need. There's no way. This is insignificant. It's too small. Five loaves, two, two fish, that's enough for a couple of us. That's about it. But the lesson for us is that when we go all in with what we have, with Jesus, that's enough. It is enough. The last of the second group of three, all in reflects God's love for us. You know, uh, the Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet sent from heaven by God. They believe that Jesus was superseded by the prophet Muhammad. They also believe that when Jesus went to the cross, that God replaced Jesus with Judas or some other person worthy of crucifixion. Now, we don't believe that. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh. But what sticks out to me is, is that the Muslims... The reasoning behind this belief is that they cannot conceive that God would allow his prophet to die a death like that. It's hard for them to understand that, or to think that God would be so committed, so all in for us as human beings. Peter had a hard time with this too. I mean, thinking of Jesus, his friend, his Messiah, the Son of God, thinking of him going to the cross and dying, Peter could not conceive of this. He, he, he told Jesus, this cannot be. It was just too much. But Jesus had given them a heads up. He told them, starting back in Matthew 16, that it was going to be necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, for him to be persecuted, for him to be uh, horrible things to happen to him by the religious leaders and, and, and the elders. He told them he would be killed. He told them on the third day he would be raised from the dead, but they missed it. Why? Because they could not conceive that God would be so all in, so committed that he would send his son to die for us. You know, in all religions... People die for their God. There are martyrs, not just in Christianity. But only in Christianity does God die for us. That's so all in. Jesus said this about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's, that's commitment. That's all in. That's radical. And the only way that I, I think we can begin to go all in, remember it doesn't mean perfect, the only way we can begin to be, have that kind of commitment is that we first have to receive God's all-in gift of Jesus Christ for us. 1 John 4.19 says it best. We love God because he first loved us. So my prayer is that, is that you respond to Jesus and receive that incredible sacrificial gift. Now, one of the things when I visit a church is I look at the title of the sermon. And you're probably wondering, what is the title that's on the front of the worship? So maybe you are, maybe you aren't. What is that title? True gratitude. What does that have to do with what Doug is talking about? 
Well, I'll tell you, the depth and nature of your gratitude for God and all that he's done for you in Christ Jesus, it's reflected in how you live your life and how you steward your life. For example, those who have been forgiven much forgive much in others. For those who have been given much, they give freely and sacrificially to others. For those who are loved much, they love others deeply and radically. The depth and nature of your gratitude for God is reflected in how you live your life. Jesus says some variation of this over and over in the Gospels. Peter and and Paul and, 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 and John and James, they all say this as well. Your gratitude to God is demonstrated by how all in you are. And you can tell how all in you are by the depth and nature of your gratitude. And it's clear that the widow sees all in. She's not doing it for show. She's not trying to earn brownie points with God. She's not saving anything for the swim back. She's all in. And that's true gratitude. And that's thankfulness. I mean, Jesus says what? If you want to follow me, take up your cross, die to yourself, give up your life, follow me. Sounds pretty all in. Now, you might be listening to this here or or online, and you might be thinking, that sounds like a bit much. Uh, I'm not ready to go all in. That sounds pretty radical. There might be things that are, that's holding you back. There might be things that you are holding back. Well, Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, we typically don't go from zero, from no commitment to wholehearted, radical, all-out commitment overnight, although there are some examples of that in the Bible. There are examples of that in church history. Maybe you know somebody who's gone just through a radical change in their life almost overnight. Maybe you know somebody who's done that. But what can you do if you're thinking, boy, I, I, I have a long ways to go, and don't we all? If you want to grow in your gratitude, if you want to move more all in, here are some simple steps. They're not anything grandiose. It'd be easier if it was, right? I'll give my life. You know, I'll do this, big gesture. But the simple things that help us to, to grow, to move. Is, and the reason why is that God uses these things and works through these things to, to stretch us, to grow us, to shape us, so that we become more aligned with his values and priorities. One, read your Bible daily. We get a sense of who God is, his values, his priorities what he wants from us. Pray daily. Our conversation with God, it's not supposed to be one way. We, we communicate our, we confess our sin, we, we worship him, we, we ask for things, we, we pray for others. We stretch ourselves in generosity of time and resources. We, we push ourselves. We, we use more of our time and resources to the point where it hurts. And we thank God daily. We count our blessings and we're thoughtful and creative in that process. Maybe many of you are doing these things already. That's wonderful. Keep doing it. Press on. Press on. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Keep growing. Uh, But this is something that's 
new for you or you've had a hard time, you've been inconsistent in these things in the past, I would say take these steps consistently and humbly, gratefully, and God will stretch you and God will grow you so that you become more and more all in. I want to, I want to close with uh, a couple of verses that are behind our, our, our mission statement. The, the shorter version of our mission statement is deeper in Christ, further in mission. Um, deeper in Christ, further in mission. And the verses behind it is Jesus is approached by a, a guy and he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's, that's going deeper. That's going more and more all in. And the second, Jesus said, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, that sounds pretty all in to me. So may God work in us to shape us, to stretch us, to grow us, that we come to the place where we're not holding anything back, that we are truly all in, that we're not holding anything back for the swim home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of this woman, a nameless woman, that really in Jesus' day would have been considered a nobody by most people, and yet... Jesus holds her up as an example of somebody who uh, was all in, who was committed, who was grateful for what she had been given and grateful for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, through your Holy Spirit to see the areas that we're holding back or the areas that are holding us back. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us, Lord, to be more generous with our time and our resources, that you would stretch our heart and our spirit, that we might become more like you. Help us, Lord, to press towards that. We offer ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.